Well, Gary's out of town, so I decided I'm going to get comfortable. This pacing around and walking around is just a lot of work, so here we are. Um, You know, sermons are born out of a lot of ways. Sometimes the boss gives you a topic and says, this is your sermon. Uh, Sometimes you have a conviction, and so you begin to speak of it. Sometimes a sermon is born out of pain. And so what I mean by that is you're convicted personally, and rather than feel the pain alone, you decide to share your pain with others. And so really today's topic is a conviction I've been convicted of. And rather than sit in my own pain and endure it alone, I'm going to share it with you. And so hopefully there's a few of you that will feel my pain by the end of the day. So I was thinking as I got ready for this and my own conviction that I believe there's a silent killer in our country and in the church today. And so I want you to think there's a lot of things that have changed. Um, One of the things that's changed is our schedule. How many of you have more free time now than you usually did? Anybody? Yeah? So there's a lot that goes on with that. It's interesting in our society. The number one selling chair in America, anybody want to guess what it is? It's the lazy boy, which I find deeply insulting because it's not called the lazy woman. It's a male laziness, so apparently we get tagged with that. Uh, There's a new phrase called binge watching, and so this is where you can watch six months worth of TV in I think a day or two, depending on how skilled you are at it. Um, But as you begin to think of just, you know, the TikTok and the Facebook and the binge watching and the lazy boys, there's kind of a theme going on. And if we're not careful, I think it invades the church as well. And the theme, the silent killer that I would call it is called passivity. Everyone say passivity together. Okay, you're not passive, you're now active, so we just proved it's not true. But basically, passivity is inactivity. It's the idea that you don't take action. Now, there's some statistics that we've been told. Barna tells us that in America, the American church, 10% of the people do 90% of the work. So think about that for a minute. One in 10 people do nine of the 10 tasks that need to be done. Sound true? Think about it this way. I I believe that we're part of a church family that has some amazing sermons. Verdict's not out on today, so you don't need to applaud that one. But I want you to think of the last month of sermons we've had. So before Gary left, he did an amazing sermon on encouraging or cheering on. He had the bleachers up here. You guys remember that one? And then Jerry came up, and Jerry had this great sermon. No, I'm sorry. Then Andrew came up. And Andrew, on our World Impact Day, had a sermon on making ripples in evangelism and discipleship. I can see by head you remember it. It was this idea that you start with relationships near you, and it ripples out and has this effect. And then Jerry came up and talked about praying for our nation and taking action in prayer and action on behalf of our nation. And then last weekend, my brother-in-law, Steve, talked about not living in fear. Amazing sermons. What do you think? They're great. Here's the question, and you don't need to clap or boo on this one. What action have you taken in response to those sermons? What have you done? Because we listen to them. We feel convicted by them. We might even share them or post them or quote them. But if we don't take action, I challenge us that we live in passivity. Now, some people might say, what's the big problem with passivity. 
I remember when I became a Christian in college, I, I had not been following Christ for several years. And really, my goal when I first came to Christ was just to live at zero. Because I'd been living it like negative 50, negative 100. And so I thought in my mind, if I could stop swearing, stop drinking, stop smoking, stop lusting, if I could just get to this neutral kind of line, I would arrive. And yet we find the Christian life is not about living at a zero. Christ died to forgive our sins, but to give us new life, that we might live life for him, that we might take action. And so I want to suggest to you that passivity is a sin. So think about this. I'm actually going to get up because some of you are like, I know, it's so hard to get up. Like two more minutes like that, and I would put myself to sleep, I guarantee it. So here's my concept that passivity is a sin. James, and you're going to know this verse, James 4.17 says, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do. So think back to those great sermons we've heard. People came up out of God's word. They spoke the truth. Maybe you were convicted. Maybe the Holy Spirit whispered in your ear, spoke into your heart, and you thought, I know exactly what I need to do in response. I know in my life that often the ideas that Will has because I'm sinful and broken, I I know when I have natural thoughts, and I know when it's the Holy Spirit. Because if it's good, Christ-like, noble, pure, I'm like, that's not a Will Hoffman thought. That's the Holy Spirit. And when I ignore that, when I see the good I ought to do, James says, and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Theologically, we're talking now about sins of omission. We often in the church, we focus on sins of commission. Don't steal, don't lie, don't commit adultery, don't do this and that. But we tend to forget the sins of omission. And so scripture is saying there's things that if you don't do are sin as well. And James basically sums up the sin of passivity by saying, if you see the good you ought to do and don't do it, it is sin. So I want you to think about that for a minute. Now, the implications of this are scary. It says that every sermon, every conviction, every Bible reading, and these are good things, don't get me wrong, but if we don't act on them, we're building sin in our life. Think about the converse of it. If you don't plan to act, if you don't plan to change, if you don't plan to take action, then it's probably better that you not listen to good sermons. And that's a challenge because I think we have good sermons here. You can go on the internet and listen to Francis Chan and Matt Chandler and all these different guys. I would even say if you plan to read your Bible and not take action, you should probably stop. Because by taking these things in, by listening to truth, by listening to the Holy Spirit and not taking action, you're actually building up more sin in your life. And so we have this sin of passivity. I also propose to you, not only is it sin in and of itself, but it's incredibly dangerous. And there's four reasons I think that passivity is dangerous. The first one is you miss opportunities. When we stay in the chair and watch life go by, when we sit on the bench, we miss opportunities. Now, how many of you want to go to heaven? It's not a trick question. If your hand's not up, please come see me after service. Like, you know, it's one thing to say I'm not going to heaven, but if you don't want to go to heaven, we have some issues we need to talk about. Now, I want to go to heaven. I'm excited. There's some amazing things there. It's going to be incredible, speechless, awesome, all that. Did you know there are things on earth you don't get to do in heaven? 
There are once-in-a-lifetime opportunities you can only do here on earth. Things that God values. In heaven, you won't be able to share the gospel with the lost. In heaven, you won't be able to comfort the wounded or the sick or the sad. And so there are things on earth that need to be done because when we get to heaven, as great as it will be, you will not have the opportunity to do those things again. Paul writes this in Ephesians 5.15, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, listen to this, making the most of every opportunity. So as opportunities present themselves, whether it's through conviction or scripture reading or listening to a sermon, make the most of every opportunity. Another way to say it is, do it. Don't watch it go by. Because the days are evil. There's things that, are gonna, that you'll use as excuses not to take action. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And so I believe that when we're passive, we miss opportunities. I also believe that when we're passive, we are not walking with the Spirit. The Spirit who prompts us, who leads us, who guides us, who convicts us, who leads us into truth, when we're passive, we're not responding to the Spirit. To put it in a negative, 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, Do not quench the Spirit. And so again, this still small voice, the spirit in our lives that elbows us, that prompts us, that reminds us, when we don't take action, I believe we quench the spirit. And I believe what's scarier for many Christians, the spirit has quit talking because we've quit listening. I hear people often say, I don't feel like I'm having the same dreams or the same prompts. I don't feel like the Spirit's communicating. I feel like when I read God's Word, it's just not getting through. And the question is, have you been doing anything? Because there reaches a point when we sit in our chairs and don't take action and live in passivity where the Spirit says, hey, I'm going to give you over to your own desires. And, and so a scary thing about passivity is we can quench the Spirit. Now, here's the idea. Passivity is sin, according to James, but passivity also leads to more sin. It, it's not just this neutral zero where you say, well, at least I'm passive. I'm not cussing. I'm not swearing. I'm not drinking. So I'm living in this safe margin of zero because passivity will lead to more sin. Probably the most tragic phrase in the Bible to me is regarding King David. This man after God's own heart, this man who pursued the acts and the will of God, in 2 Samuel 11.1, 1, we read these tragic words. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent. He didn't go, he delegated. He sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They, not David, they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. They took action, they got in the game, they were active, they were doing what God wanted. But David remained in Jerusalem. And some of us might think, well, he needed a break. He needed a rest. How'd that go for him? It didn't end well. It led to one of the greatest sins in the life of David. In fact, verse 2 says, One evening David got up from his bed. Had there been lazy boys in the kingdom of Israel, I think it would read, David got up from his lazy boy and he walks the roof and he sees something that's not his and he takes it and he murders and commits adultery. And so passivity leads to more sin. Finally, I want to warn us that passivity leads to judgment. 
Now, I'm not talking about judgment from me or you walking by and peeking in rooms going, hey, you're in a lazy boy, you're sinning. I'm saying the God of the universe, when we don't take action, there is ultimate judgment. You guys remember the parable of the talents that Jesus told? Now, different scholars interpret this differently. It could be financial, it could be abilities, it could be time. I think they all work in context of this passage. But if you remember, one man's given talents and he earns more. A second man's given talents and he earns more. A third man's giving a small amount and he's scared. He doesn't want to blow it. He decides to be passive and play it safe. And so he buries it, he hides it. He sits on it. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't take action. And when the king returned, the servant goes and says, here's what you gave me. Do you remember how it went for him? Matthew 25, 28, this is Jesus says, so take the bag of gold from him, the servant who had the one, and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. I believe clearly that when we're passive, when we sit in the chair and don't take action, even the little that we have can be taken from us. Sounds harsh, but listen to what Jesus finishes with. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, we can argue about whether that means saved or unsaved or hell or not hell. Here's the big idea. None of us want to be cast outside or called worthless into a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so I would propose to you that passivity is a sin, that it leads to more sin, it leads to judgment, it leads to missed opportunities, and it can cause us to quench the spirit. Now, I know some of us are thinking, yeah, but there's reasons. Like, don't be so harsh, Will. Can we just have something nice? There are reasons, and I recognize them. Let's think about some of the reasons. Uh, One of them is bad experiences in the past. Failures. Some of you are thinking, well, you know, I've had failures you don't understand. I I think I do. I I have the number in my life. It's three and a half to four, 3.5 to four. So my wife and I graduated college. We went to be missionaries in Tanzania. Guess how long we lasted? Three and a half, four years, burned out, came home, figured I was done with ministry. Ended up in North Idaho at this mega church. They hired me to be a community pastor, got into it, ran with all my gusto, did all I could. Three and a half, four years, guess what I did? Burned out and resigned. Some families came to me and said, hey, we think you're a good pastor, which I didn't believe. Uh, We want you to plant a church. We did that. Guess how long it lasted? Three and a half, four years, burned out. And I found myself at the end of that time down here in Arlington three years ago. And in my baseball theology, three strikes, you're out. So I I got tools. I got, you know, the fishermen went, or the disciples went back to their nets. I went back to my construction, figured that's what I was going to do. And I ended up at this church that was full of grace and mercy, and they recognized that God works in broken people. And they came to me two years ago and said, would you be willing to be a youth pastor? My first answer was, I don't like youth, but I guess, no, I'm just kidding. I love you. It's great. Now, I want you to think about this, and you could say, well, that's your example, and just because our church hires some people that have failed doesn't mean God sees it. Hold on, okay? Luke 22, 31 through 32, you guys remember Peter? Peter was a three-strike fellow. Strike one. He tells Jesus what to do, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Strike two. 
Men come to arrest Jesus. Peter cuts the ear off. What a brilliant blow. Not a death shot, but just like shears the ear off. I don't know if it was luck or skill, if he was like Zorro. And then what does Jesus do? He heals the ear back. Peter had to be so upset. I just cut the ear off and you're putting it back on and telling me not to do that. But probably the most epic failure, the, the strike three for Peter, was denying Christ three times. Jesus knew the failure was coming, and this is what he tells Peter in the Last Supper, Luke twenty-two thirty-one. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. He doesn't say you won't fail. He doesn't say your actions won't fail. He doesn't say your resolve won't fail. He says that your faith may not fail, and watch this. And when you have turned back, The God of the universe says, when you turn back, not if, but when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. So the God of the universe says, when we fail, we're actually sometimes in a better position to strengthen and equip other people. Another reason, I think, for passivity is we are over-informed. I asked James last service, I don't know if he's here, how many books, Christian books, do you think there are written on the topic of marriage? 3,000, yeah, 3,000 is a really good guess, probably higher. I, I know in my life, I'm not a real reader, but sometimes my wife will say, hey, read a marriage book. I've read marriage books on how to be a good husband, how to laugh your way to a better marriage, how to have love and respect, how to have better intimacy in your marriage, um, how to be a good, and, and here's the deal. You begin to become overwhelmed. Because each book speaks one specific thing on how to be the good husband, and you begin to read them, and I don't know about you. Maybe you're better than I am, and that's okay. But as I read these, I'm like, well, I didn't really do that one, and I didn't really do this one, and I didn't do this one, and this one, I don't even know what that means or how to get there. And pretty soon, I'm so overwhelmed, I I feel like sitting in the chair. I'm like, I don't know how to be that 5.7 point husband that these books are telling me to be. And so there's a part of me that just is tempted to throw my hands up. And so if we're not careful, we can be over-informed. I would suggest for some of us, rather than another parenting book or a marriage book or how to be a Christian book, we pick up this book. Because this book is going to tell us. I do believe we have a plethora. We have too many books in our society telling us how to be, and we're ignoring sometimes the book. Another one I know is sometimes believing we aren't qualified or that maybe we're irrelevant. Now, one of the rules in preaching is never pick on a demographic or an age or a certain people group, so I'm going to break it. Raise your hand if you have gray hair. Even if you dye it, raise your hand. Now, now, okay, if you dye it, I'm I'm not judging that. I just want to say from the book of Proverbs, gray hair is a crown of glory. So when you dye it, you are changing the color of your crown of glory back to a boring color. But that, that's, you know, do what you got to do. Here's what I want to say about that, those of you with gray hair. We in the church desperately need your wisdom and counsel. Hugely. Did you hear the amen? It's the young adults pastor who knows young adults. Because, and, and, and young adults and Cornerstone, forgive me for this, but a bunch of young people sitting in a room trying to figure out how to live life and be married and be parents is ridiculous. I know it because I remember when I went to college. We were all in there. We didn't have jobs. We didn't have experience. And we would sit around and solve the world's problems. It was just nonsense. And once in a while, you'd get that older student in the classroom, that person with gray hair, and they would just drop bombs on what we thought was true. 
well, have you thought about getting paid for what you plan to do? And we're like, ah, getting paid? Like, how's that going to work? So I just want to say it as gently and as lovingly as I can. We need gray-haired people in our lives. Now, you don't have to pay attention to me, so let me just drop some biblical truth on you. Titus 2, 1 through 3, talking to older men. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith and love and endurance for the purpose that they teach. Doesn't mean you have to be up here. That may be what happens. Doesn't mean you have to be in front of a classroom. I think ideally in the biblical model I see is that you're doing some one-on-one or one-on-three or one-on-four mentoring and teaching younger men how to follow Jesus. Now, women, you're not off the hook because it goes on to say, likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanders or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. And so let me say, if you're a gray-haired person and teaching the younger generation is not part of your life, forgive me, it should be. So you deal with that and figure it out. Um, I think there's also a misunderstanding of works. When I talk about getting out of the chair and into the game, some of you have that little gut reaction about you're being legalistic, you can't tell me what to do. I'm not, I'm trying to use the Bible, hopefully you don't hear me. Um, Some of you say, well, that's works, I thought we were saved by grace right? Well, let's go to Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, so often quoted, beautiful verse. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by what? Works, so that no one can boast. Booyah! Somebody in their chair saying, Will, it's not by works. Don't tell me to get out of my chair. It's not about works. Let's finish the verse. Okay? If you've got that verse tattooed on your arm, you better make room on the other arm because it's not done. For we are God's handiwork. Now, we love that verse. It just makes us feel so ooey-gooey to say, I'm God's handiwork, and he knit me together, and I love it, and it's beautiful, and we crochet it on pillows. Listen, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good what? Works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Before the foundation of the world, God designed works for you to do. So here is, to me, the greatest missed opportunity. When we choose to sit in this chair and not get in the game, I want you to think about that. And you might sit in the chair and you might praise God and pray to God and tell God how great he is, but the God of the universe who created you before the foundation of the world with good works in mind, you're sitting in the chair not doing them. You think he has any thoughts on that? It's not anger. It's not wrath. He's saying, son, daughter, I made you to do these amazing things. Now, here's the deal. I think most of us would agree that sitting in the chair is not the way to live. Many of us struggle with it. Could be in the area of evangelism, relationship, discipleship, uh, spiritual disciplines, parenting, marriage. There's probably an area where we're passive, if we're honest. So I was trying to think of just some great wrap-up to this. Like, how do you, how do you fix passivity? How do you overcome passivity? And I I know the obvious answer is you pray by the Holy Spirit. Here, are you ready for this? I figured it out. You get out of the chair. 
You stop watching. You stop being a spectator. You don't worry about your fears. You don't worry how ridiculous you're going to look. You get out of the chair and you get into the game. Miss Margaret began this service or midway through the service by saying one way to get into the game is to go help with children in Adventureland. And I don't know if she'll agree with my theology. I don't think that means you have to be a Dr. Seuss fan or a Sesame Street character. I believe that if you get out of your chair and start loving on these children, they'll put you in the right position. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could rise to the challenge of being messengers of the gospel to our children today? That we don't have to watch that video six more times as Miss Margaret gets desperate and says, I don't have enough workers for Adventureland. People don't want to wear masks. And they don't want to be like, we could do it. We could get out of our chairs and we could solve it now. So I would say get into the game. Now, some of you are looking at me going, why are you calling it a game? This is about people's souls. This is about eternity. This is about life. Here's why I say game. Because if Jesus forgave my sins, if Jesus gave me his righteousness, if Jesus empowers me to act, then I can't fail. There is a game-like aspect to it because we are children of God doing our best. I want you to imagine for a minute that I can't pay my mortgage and my three-year-old niece comes up to me and says, Uncle Will, I saved all my change. I want to help you pay your mortgage. Is that the coolest thing on earth or what? It, am I expecting her to fix my mortgage? Am I really going to say, shame on you, it's not enough and you need to cough up? No way. And so the God of the universe who holds all things in his hand says, get in the game. Take a baby step. I know maybe it's Adventureland, maybe it's serving in a ministry, maybe it's walking across the street in prayer to your neighbor and just saying, hey, we've never met. My name's Will. I'm supposed to love my neighbor. I'm supposed to care about the souls of people around me, and God's put me in a neighborhood. And I want you to think about this too. Ask this question, if not you, then who? If you don't do it, who's going to do it? I want you to think strategically, the God of the universe who created you for good works put you in a job, he put you in a school, he put you in a neighborhood, and none of us are there. Church is not a spectator sport. You can't wait for Gary Hutchison to come down your neighborhood and engage the gospel with all your neighbors because he's not there and it's not going to happen. But the God of the universe who knows best put you in the neighborhood. And so for you to begin to build relationships, for you to walk across the street. Lest you think church is a spectator sport, Ephesians 4, which I didn't memorize, and I should have, says that God gave teachers, prophets, apostles, and all this to do what? To equip God's people for works of service. And then finally, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 15. I want to give us a picture of what I think it means to reject passivity. It says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard. Did you hear that? The people that work hard should be acknowledged. I know growing up, my dad worked very hard. He was a contractor. He put me and five siblings through college. He paid for private education. He worked his tail off. And shame on me, because I remember getting to college and hearing these kind of daddy issue people that said, your dad's a workaholic, and he didn't play enough golf with you, and he was too busy working. This seems to say, acknowledge those who work hard and provide. I think a lot of dads have had unnecessary shame put on them as they work hard to provide for their family. 
who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard. In love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle. If you see me sitting in my chair being passive, if you see me pouting about the plans that aren't happening because of COVID, you have every right biblically to warn me and say, stop being idle. Oh, man, my wife's here. Okay. Anyways. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. But watch this. But always strive to do what is good. How much striving happens sitting in that chair? When you can plan, you can dream, you can think, but this says strive to do what's good. So I want to do that for a minute. If there's a picture I want to put up, these are leaders in Grace Youth Ministry, which is our uh, youth ministry here at Grace. And I tried going around the whole table last service and I didn't make it, but just... If, if I highlight some of the people at the, at the table, you might know who they are. Uh, we have a man who runs an insurance agency and still finds time to come work with youth. Puts in as many hours as I do. He's been doing it for 30 years. We have two people that run an independent film company and still find time to come and serve youth and be with youth and go on trips. And they don't do it once a week. So think of this, Adventureland, they're asking for once a week. And Jim, these guys are out here serving twice, if not more a week. Um, We have a full-time accounting student in his senior year. Imagine that. We have a full-time engineer. We have a teaching student in her senior year. We have a husband and wife working at a glass company. We have a man who just graduated with an engineering degree. We have one person that works at the church full-time, and then finds time outside of that to come back to the church and love on youth. And, and the reason I point this out is to say there are examples in our life of people who choose not to walk in passivity, and we are called to celebrate and acknowledge these people. Will you stand with me and we'll pray? Yeah, you can clap for them. That's great. If you see them, Andrew's one of them with the black mask and the black hat, so if you see him, tell him good job. Father, we just come to you today, and, and we don't want to leave here with shame or guilt or, or just silly ideas of, oh, okay, I'll try and another good sermon to tuck into our sin bank. We want to leave here with conviction that says we want to reject passivity and we want to walk. And whether that's a sermon about encouraging or a sermon about making ripples or a sermon about praying for a country or a sermon about not living in fear, I pray we would take actions in response to your word. As James says, Help us to be doers of the word and not just hearers. And we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.